0: The following podcast is part of a certified educational activity titled New Rules for Sequential Care in BRAF Mutated Melanoma: Rethinking Upfront Selection and Sequencing of Immunotherapy and Targeted Agents in Metastatic Disease. Access the entire activity and complete the post test at Peerview.com forward slash ZBX860. Downloadable slides and practice aids are also available. Thank you so much for joining me at I hope you're hearing me okay, both in the room and online. We're really excited tonight for having you here because we have a really exciting program. We have great speakers, Dr. Robert and Dr. Tarhini, which I'll introduce a little bit later. But really what I'm, um, I think, most excited about is the fact that we have some new data and new information that will really help us decide how we're going to be sequencing the treatments for our patients with BRAF mutated melanoma. And I have to say that, you know, this situation, I I would say, in general, in melanoma, we're we're somewhat lucky that in the last, you know, decade or so, we've had so many um, approvals, and that's really very important for our patients. We we have more um, agents to be able to treat them, give them better outcomes. But it also actually creates a lot of conundrum, almost similar to, uh, you know, if you've ever walked into a Starbucks and were asked all of the questions about what, you know, which, which flavors would you like. And I think that's kind of a situation where we deal with our patients now that it's great we have many options, but how do we decide which option to choose and how do we sequence those combinations? So. Uh, My name is Hussein Taubi. I'm deputy chair and professor in the Department of Mono Medical Oncology at MD Anderson Cancer Center, and um, I'm, again, excited to be sharing some of this with you. So I'm going to just start by setting the stage, just giving you a sense of what, what are the issues that we deal with. And as you know, we have um, our patients with metastatic melanoma have BRAF mutations about 50% of the time. You know, the the range goes from 40 to 60%, but say half the time those patients will have uh, BRAF mutations. And once you have a Braf mutation again, you're in a very good place because you have the choice of using not just immunotherapy but also potentially targeted therapy with either, uh, with, with with several combinations available of Braf and Mac uh, targeted therapy. Now the interesting thing I'll tell you, as academic oncologists, and we've been you know doing this over the last decade, we've you know generally tried to start immunotherapy up front for our patients, but the debate has raged for a long time about which you know, which choice should you do, the targeted therapy or the immunotherapy? And we didn't really have any way of telling. All of the trials that have led to approvals have been done in first-line disease in patients that were treatment-naive and had shown improved survival, improved outcomes for those patients. So there was not really good direct comparisons. So what you're looking at here is a kind of a market-level research looking at how common is for the different treatments to be given in a community setting, and you see the number of 162 patients. So blue and below is immunotherapy, and then you see here uh, even single-agent vemurafenib, single-agent Dabrafenib remarkably are still used, and you'll hear some of the data now how tar- you know, combination is really the way to go with targeted therapy anyway. But what you see in these curves is that almost 60% of patients are starting first line with BRAF targeted therapy. So keep that in mind as we go through our program today, because that's, you know moving forward may not be the recommendation as you'll go through the data with dr robert and dr tarhini and so as you think about these two um, approaches targeted therapy or immunotherapy you know we're just going to go briefly through this where you see that uh what we see with with someone something like ipinivo for instance and as you see this early progression with the blue curve we lose a lot of patients in the first year that progress On treatment, but then we have about 50%, 55% of patients that respond and do remarkably well. And now we have six and a half year data. In fact, on Monday, you're going to have seven and a half year data from that combination that shows us that those patients are almost cured. BRAF and MEC combinations, we know, give a lot less progression up front. You get a lot of responses. Almost 90% of patients will have some form of a response. But we also know that over time that the progression happens, you know, median about a year to 15 months. We know that about 20% of patients do well long term. But again, this is a lot lower than epineva or at least like immunotherapy. So the question here is you know, it may look simple that everybody wants to get cured, and we want to try to get for the largest proportion of patients that have, you know, that, that, that have that long term or, or tail at the end of the curve. But the clinical reality is a lot more different than these, you know, uh, go, uh, the curves show you. Sometimes you actually need that early response. You, you absolutely want to give your patient the quick, you know, you take your pills and within 48 hours you're gonna start to feel less pain and, and less symptomatic from, from or even from your brain disease. So it's not as simple as choosing what gives us the best long-term survival. The clinical realities are actually challenging. So what we're going to be doing today is uh, Dr. Tarhini is going to walk us through every piece of data that's out there right now to show us, you know, the... Uh, response rates and the PFS and the long-term outcomes from from both immunotherapy and targeted therapy combinations, and then Dr. Robert will go through a case-based discussion of if you have a patient with this kind of presentation with a BRAF mutation, how do you manage those patients, and and along the way, you're welcome to ask questions. This is an interactive program, so we'd be interested in either cases that you have to discuss or kind of nuances that you'd like to bring up. So with that, I'm gonna uh, move forward to, uh, again, this is our agenda, it's gonna be uh, the lecture and then the case-based discussion. And I'll start by introducing my good friend and colleague, Dr. Tarhini, who is uh, formerly from the University of Pittsburgh, where we trained together, but he is now uh, a leader in cutaneous oncology uh, at the Moffitt Cancer Center. He is professor and a senior member um, of cutaneous oncology. Uh, He's also the chair of the Orient Scientific uh, Committee and Immuno-Oncology Research Subcommittee. Dr. Tarhini, great to have you here. Um, The floor is yours.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Hossein. Excited to join you and uh, Caroline in this uh, in-depth discussion of the latest data. Uh, in managing BRAF-mutated uh, melanoma. So as Hussein mentioned, uh, I will provide an overview of the efficacy data and toxicity data uh, from the pivotal trials that led to the approval of the main agents or main regimens that we use in clinic today. So I'll be discussing Checkmate 067 that tested the combination of PD-1 CTLA-4 blockade, epilumab nivolumab, and nivolumab versus epilimumab. Uh, we will also discuss uh, briefly Keynote 006, test, the tested pembrolizumab. Uh, we will go over the data, uh, long-term survival data primarily, uh, from the BRAF-MEC inhibitors, uh, vemurafenib, cobimatinib dabrafenib-tramatinib, uh, and encorafenib uh, binimetinib. Uh, we will review imspire uh, 150 uh, Vemcobi atezolizumab the triplet uh, combination that is also approved for our patients with braf mutated melanoma. Uh, and then the most recent data from Relativity 047, uh, uh, LAG-3 inhibition with uh, PD-1 blockade, uh, fixed-dose combination of Relatlimab and Nivolumab. Following this, we will move on to discuss the evidence-based uh, results from the sequencing studies, the SICOMBIT uh, and DreamSeek uh, clinical uh, trials. So in terms of uh, you know, the national guidelines, uh, these agents are all listed as options, in the first line and second line uh, therapy uh, for for patients with BRAF wild type uh, and, and those with BRAF mutated melanoma as uh, shown here. Um, you know, key thing uh, to look at is the long-term survival benefits from these agents. Uh, overall, uh, what we see is that when we do uh, cross-trial comparisons, although it's not necessarily a statistically uh, kind of, uh, um, let's say, valid thing to do, but we see that there is a trend towards an improved overall survival in favor of starting immunotherapy in the front line. So data from Checkmate 067 uh, showed five-year survival rates of 52% with Epinevo and 44% with Nivolumab, as compared to the data with trametinib from the Combi-D and Combi-V studies uh, of 34% overall survival at uh, five uh, years. Um, so focusing on the, uh, you know, these Uh, Agents, uh, let's say, uh, one by one, starting with PD-1 blockade as monotherapy. We know that we have pembrolizumab and nivolumab in the clinic. Uh, Data from Keynote 006 uh, supported an overall survival rate of about 42%, median PFS of 8.4 months and median overall survival of 32.7 months as compared to epilimumab in that study. Uh, interesting to see also the uh, five-year survival rates and uh, seven-year survival rates of 43% and almost 38% uh, overall. What was important about Keynote 006 is that it also allowed us to look at the possibility of discontinuing treatment in patients who uh, do not progress Uh, following the initiation of anti-PD-1 immunotherapy. Uh, This study discontinued treatment at two years in patients who did not progress, and a sub-analysis from one or three patients who had at least a stable disease showed an overall survival rate at five years uh, that is about 93%, with five-year PFS of 70%. Uh, Patients who uh, eventually progressed were able to be salvaged uh, with uh, re-induction and, of course, have the opportunity to be salvaged, let's say, with BRAF inhibitors if they had BRAF mutation and so on, again, supporting the possibility of stopping treatment rather than, you know, an endless uh, treatment following initiation. Moving on to the combination of anti-CTLA for anti-PD-1, checkmate 067. This is the 6.5-year PFS and OS data that was presented by Jack uh, Wolchok last year at ASCO in 2021. What we've seen from uh, this data is that the, um, uh, you know, there are durable 5-year uh, PFS and OS rates, uh, with 5-year OS rates of uh, you know close to 50%, and one, they did the, uh, let's say, melanoma-specific uh, survival uh, was upward of 50%, Uh, here, about 58% overall. Um, uh, In in zooming in on the uh, BRAF mutation, uh, uh, let's say patient uh, population, uh, we see that the results are comparable uh, between patients who had BRAF mutant and BRAF wild type in terms of the long-term benefits. When we look both at the ipi combination and uh, at nivolumab. Um, here, um, you know, the uh, let's say the overall survival rates were uh, almost similar between BRAF uh, mutant BRAF wild type, slightly lower for BRAF mutant uh, in terms of progression-free survival. Uh, but in terms of overall survival, there appears to be um, a, an advantage for the uh, BRAF mutant patient population uh, at five years in terms of overall survival. And those uh, who were treated with ipi and nivo, with the up there are similar benefits. Again, highlighting the importance of. Uh, you know the BRAF inhibitors as a salvage in patients who progress following initiation of immunotherapy. This study also highlighted the importance of, uh, or the prognostic value of the liver metastases and visceral metastases, probably reflecting the tumor burden overall. And we're uh, showing here that the patients who had liver metastases unfortunately have a disadvantage overall and less survival compared to those who are without liver uh, metastases. Uh, the challenge with, uh, you know, CTL4 blockade as monotherapy and in combination is obviously the uh, higher rate of immune-related adverse events. So what CheckMate zero six seven reported is a fifty nine percent. Uh, rate of grade 3-4 immune-related adverse events compared to 24% with nivolumab. And those that are probably uh, probably most clinically relevant, so uh, treatment-related AEs leading to discontinuation of, uh, of any grade, were 42% with epinevo compared to 14% with nivolumab as monotherapy. The exciting data <coughs> was presented uh, uh, recently, obviously, and published in, New, in the New England Journal of Medicine, is now the introduction of LAG3 inhibition, so the fixed-dose combination of relatlimab nivolumab compared to, no, to nivolumab in the Relativity 047 uh, study. The primary endpoint in this study was the progression-free uh, survival, and this study obviously met its primary endpoint, uh, it was positive, uh, hazard ratio of 0.75, and median of uh, 10 months compared to about 4. 4.6 months, um, obviously leading to uh, FDA approval, and this is an option now that we have in the clinic. Now, Hussein will update this data on Sunday during the uh, oral uh, presentation melanoma uh, session. Um, the um, uh, overall survival and response data were also uh, noted at a median follow up of 19 months, uh, presentation by Georgina Long in the ASCO plenary uh, series. Um, there was, a signif- there was a, an interesting, strong trend in favor of improved uh, overall survival uh, of hazard ratio of 0.8. was not statistically significant, but there was a, a strong trend or, or clear trend there, also when looking at the one-year and two-year overall survival rates uh, in between the combination and monotherapy. Uh, the response rates were 43% and about 33%, uh, respectively, also in favor of the uh, combination. Uh, What's also uh, important here is obviously focusing on the BRAF mutation uh, patient population, and these uh, appear to derive similar benefits Uh, to those with wild type, So we see it, again, uh, in terms of combination immunotherapy, whether it is with C D 4 blockade and PD-1 blockade or LAG-3 inhibition and PD-1 inhibition, uh, that patients with uh, BRAF-mutated melanoma uh, who start these combinations in the front line uh, appear to derive at least similar benefits compared to the wild type patient uh, population. Um, um, One important, uh, you know, kind of uh, addition from the lag three Um, uh, combination here is the safety profile when considering the CTLA-4 blockage, the epinevo combination. Uh, We see that the rate of a grade 3-4 immune-related adverse events uh, was about uh, 19% uh, with uh, RALA-NIVO here, and those leading to discontinuation of any grade about 15%, clearly, um, let's say, a major advantage um, uh, in terms of combination immunotherapy in the clinic. (laughs) Okay. <laughs> the data from with targeted therapy i think it's important to know that there are long term survival outcomes and we have seen these in the 5 year uh, updates with uh, dabrafenib trametinib vemurafenib and bini overall what we see in terms of uh, uh, overall survival benefits is that the uh, 5 year survival rates range somewhere between 30 to 35% in patients who started BRAF inhibition uh, in the first line uh, similar um, Let's say, durable benefit in terms of progression free survival, that were, we noticed that about 15 to 20 percent of patients continue to be progression free uh, at five years. Um, most importantly, those benefits are seen in patients who have significant responses, like complete responses, for example, as seen in the analysis with Dubrafim trametinib and with Vemcobi, somewhere between 50 to 70 percent of these patients uh, were alive at five years. Uh, those who achieved a complete response. Another thing is that patients who have a low LDH also tend to have durable long-term benefits in terms of overall survival um, uh, that was observed uh, in these studies. The important addition also uh, in 2020 was the triplet combination here with uh, uh, anti-PD-L1 inhibition at tezolizumab with VAMCOBE uh, in the Inspire 150 uh, study. This study was positive in terms of the primary endpoint. Uh, the hazard ratio was 0.78, and the median progression-free survival was about 15 months compared to about 10.6 Months uh, leading to approval and addition uh, to the clinic. Interestingly, in parallel, the Combi Eye study, uh, although it showed a trend in terms of improved PFS in favor of the triplet combination, uh, was not statistically significant and failed to achieve regulatory uh, approval. Uh, an interesting uh, abstract that will be presented by Dr. Doomer uh, on uh, Sunday, also during the same uh, oral. Uh, melanoma presentation session, uh, is the activity of the triplet combination here at TISU vemcobe in patients with brain metastases, including patients uh, who are symptomatic and on corticosteroids. These constituted about 37% of the patient population, and the overall response rate, by, as assessed by investigators, about 50%. The median duration of response appeared to be uh, let's say modest, but we'll see. I mean, looking for, uh, we'll look forward to, these, uh, to this data by Dr. Doomer on uh, Sunday. But this could be an option for patients who cannot receive, let's say, epinevo on the first line due to you know, high doses of corticosteroids where the response rate based on the Checkmate 204 was around 20% or so. So what is the recent evidence-based sequencing data in BRAF mutant melanoma? The SECUMBIT study was a study that randomized three cohorts of patients, into, and those patients had BRAF mutated melanoma into first-line BRAF-MEC inhibition, and at the time of progression, received the combination of epilumab and nivolumab. Uh, the second arm, arm B, patients started with Ipinevo uh, in the first line and at progression uh, uh, transitioned to ancubini as a combination. And the third arm was the so-called sandwich arm where patients received ancobini for eight weeks and then moved on uh, in the absence of progression to ancubini the data were interesting overall there were no statistically significant differences between the three arms probably is related to the relatively uh, small sample size in each of these but there was an interesting trend that was seen both in the epinevo first line arm and in the sandwich arm where we see that numerically the overall survival at uh, 3 years here you know around 60% uh, was numerically better than arm a which started with and and then at progression transitioned to uh, immunotherapy. The similar trend was seen also uh, in terms of uh, progression free survival. Um, Again, uh, about 53, 54% PFS rate at three years uh, in those who had I.O. or sandwich arm, compared to about 41% in those who started with encubini and transitioned at progression only uh, to I.O. So, in a way, it supports uh, uh, I.O. uh, in the first line. Uh, the uh, other study is the Seek study. This is an ECOG-Akron study, EA6134, where Mike Atkins um, you know, uh, designed and started this study in 2015. Uh, the study was designed to randomize patients with BRAF mutant melanoma uh, into arm A, which is induction epinevo, and at progression, patients would be transitioned to the BRAF intramatinib, arm B, the BRAF intramatinib, and at progression, transition to epinevo. Uh, uh, this study had a primary endpoint of two-year uh, landmark overall uh, survival Uh, It met its primary endpoint, so the uh, two-year overall survival rates were 72% compared to 52% in favor of uh, immunotherapy uh, up front. In other words, 20% reduction in the risk of death uh, at uh, two years. So in uh, conclusion, uh, five-year overall survival rates are more than 40% with single-agent anti-PD-1, and more than 50% with anti-PD-1, anti-CTLA-4 uh, uh, combination immunotherapy. The option of single-agent or combination may be tailored based on patient needs. Uh, fixed dose uh, 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 LAG-3 PD-1 uh, blockade has emerged as a new uh, first-line option with relatlimab and nivolumab. Target therapy is highly effective uh, for BRAF mutant melanoma. There are three approved regimens, and five year BRAF inhibitor and MEK inhibitor data show durable benefits in a subset of patients. There is a limited role for BRAF MEK anti PDL1 uh, data with Vemcobi Atezo that has emerged, and this has a role in the clinic. Uh, And the recent data from DreamSeq uh, supports IO combination as first-line therapy in BRAF-mutated melanoma, although it's important to keep in mind that there continues to be a subset of patients uh, that would still need to have BRAF-MAC inhibition in the first line. If they have rapidly progressive disease where we need an urgent response, these are the patients that would still continue with BRAF-MAC inhibition in the first line. And important to keep in mind uh, that patients who Seem to progress quickly on IO therapy, there will be an important need to salvage them as soon as possible, would be REFMAC inhibition.
0: We have some questions online. One of them I, I will like you to address now, Dr. Tarhini, and then we'd we'll leave the rest towards the end, but I think it's very relevant. One of the questions talks about AEs. Are there fewer AEs when sequencing treatment from targeted to immune checkpoint than vice versa? Um, any, any information from the DreamSeek yeah.
1: data uh, in terms th- of the toxicity? So I think the likelihood of having toxicity is probably the same. So with epinevo, whether you give it in sequencing or you give it uh, up front, it's still the same uh, uh, rate of uh, grade 3, 4 adverse events, let's say. Thank you. That was great.
0: Okay, great. Well, we'll move on to Dr. Robert again. I'm... Really pleased and honored to present Dr. Robert, who's the head of the dermatology unit and the director of the Monoma research team at the and Gustave Roussy and Paris-Saclay University from ville uh, France. And um, Caroline will walk us through a few cases. And um, you know, again, there are some questions online, but I think some of the cases will lo- illustrate some of those same issues, and then we can do another a Q&A at the end as well. Go ahead,
2: Dr. Robert. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm very happy to be here and to uh, discuss with you and with you this case. Um, And it's really, I think it's really important that you know that it's really an everyday question. This is something that happens every day in our clinic and probably in yours too. So let's imagine a woman of 62 Year old, and she has stage four metastatic melanoma and resectable with several lung metastases. She has high LDH, uh, upper the, uh, uh, above the upper limit of the normal, but uh, not uh, above the twice the upper limit, between one and two. And um, she's not in a perfect performance status, but she can still do uh, some. Uh, easy work at home, PS1. And she's waiting for the result of a baseline testing. So what are we waiting for? Uh, I think we would like to make sure that she does not have any brain metastasis. So we have to make sure that she had an imaging of the brain. And also we need to know her BRAF mutation status. So you might think, why? Because you just told us that Regardless of the BRAF mutation status, we would like to initiate the treatment with immunotherapy. Yes, okay, but at the same time, it's very good to know, to anticipate things, and to exactly know, you you don't exactly know what you are going to prescribe to your patients until you have discussed with your tumor board and with the patient. And uh, it's very important to know what you have in front of you in this specific situation. So we always like to have the BRAF mutation status. Plus, in a lot of centers, there are some clinical trials, like, for example, the second BID trial. Right now, we have the ERTC trial that is almost uh, finished in terms of recruitment, but it's a sort of variation of the sandwich uh, trial. So we, we need to know the BRAF mutation status at the beginning, and the patient, you know, they although they, they read on the internet and uh, it's important that we know exactly what we are going to fight against. And as we, as we heard from Ahmad, we have several possibilities that are approved for treatment of uh, uh, this uh, patient in first-line treatment. We can give either a monotherapy with uh, anti-PD-1, pembrolizumab, or nivolumab, We can give a combination, nivolumab-ipilimumab. We can give nivolumab relatlimab, more recently authorized in the U.S. It's not yet in Europe, actually. And uh, if the patient is BRAF mutant, we know that we have other options, combination of targeted agents, the three combinations. Okay. So now we are going to discuss... And we need to have the confirmation of the BRAF mutation status, yes or no. Well, in this case, she has a melanoma with a BRAF mutation. Just a small parenthesis. Sometimes you want to have the information quite quickly, and you can also have immunohistochemistry staining, you you have an antibody that recognizes very specifically the BRAF mutation, but it's only recognizing V600E. So if it's positive, it's very good. Usually it's confirmed by molecular biology, but in fact, uh, I think it's very good if you have the staining. But if it's negative, you have to check if it is not V600K, which is also sensitive to BRAF and braf So it's um, you need to do the, the PCR. Okay, so Margaret, this patient, she has a BRAF mutant melanoma, so we have these options. So I think maybe we could discuss, so you say? What would you yeah, think?
0: so I think it's um, you. You present a really in- interesting case. Remember, the high LDH is probably of all of the three things that you know that are probably the, the one thing that kind of we take note of because, you know, generally when we think about brafmac I even mentioned it when I was starting, is that you know if you have someone with rapidly progressive disease, or aggressive disease, you think those are the patients you need to jump on and treat with target, with a targeted therapy. The interesting part is we also know that patients with high LDH actually do. Pretty much less well than patients that have normal LDH with targeted therapy as well. So, having a high LDH is something that drives me a little bit away from BRFMAC, even regardless of the uh, randomized data that we just heard about. Mm.
1: Dr. Tarhini, what are your thoughts? Oh, I agree. I think, uh, you know, LDH by itself, uh, uh, you know, in patients who, are, who we have time to treat, uh, I would favor immunotherapy in the first mm. line. But what I would watch is patient who go, walks into the clinic and, or, or cannot walk to the clinic comes in a wheelchair or somebody that we see in the mm-hmm. hospital. These are the ones where I would consider BRFMAC.
2: exactly she is not she 's not symptomatic she 's just a little bit tired. she has not something that threatens her immediately, mm-hmm. but the prognosis is not so good because of the high LDH so yeah. I just would like to make another small parenthesis. This is a translational work that uh, we did in our lab. We work on the persister cells. These cells that hide in the body, we don't see them with the CT scan. We don't see them with our examination. But unfortunately, after some times, we know that they have been there because we see a relapse. And sometimes it can last for a long period of time, this sort of uh, period where you have these persistent cells, invisible. We, uh, we call them the invisible threat. And in the lab, you can recapitulate that if you take some melanoma cells, you put them in culture with BRAFMEC inhibitors. Almost all of them die in two days, but not all of them. This is very important. You have about 10% of the cells that remain in your petri dish. They don't look so... Uh, in very good, uh, very good shape, but they are there, they are not dead. If you take them off drug, if you take off the drug, you take the medium off, and then uh, you re-challenge them after one day, two days, three days, five days, progressively they go back to the same sensitivity as they were before, what we call the parental cell. So it's, it's not that they have a, quite a mutation of resistance. It's something that is very plastic. They have, uh, so it's a lot of epigenetic mechanism. I mean, there are a lot of uh, data about this plasticity of the persistent cells, but we also showed that they modulate their translation, for example, of the RNA. But then what, is, what I want to insist on is that if you leave these persistent cells under the pressure of the birathmec inhibition after some months, you have clones that have acquired resistance mutations, and when we did that in several clones, we found the same mutations that sometimes are found in the patients. So this demonstrates in the melanoma model that persistor cells feed resistance they are a reservoir for resistance so I'm not saying that this happens only with BRAFMEK inhibitions because we know that we also have relapses with immunotherapy, but this is something that in vitro really demonstrates the fact that you can create this persister that can lead to resistance. Okay. So we are not going to decide how to treat our patient based on petri dish, of course, but we need to understand. What we need is what Ahmad showed us, this kind of data, who tells... Tell us that statistically, it's better to initiate the treatment with ipilimumab nivolumab than to begin with brafme. So, it is uh, the reason why we, I think, all of them would prefer. Uh, initiate the treatment in this patient with immunotherapy so, so Caroline, yes. can, you,
0: can you go back to the ah, dream sure. for a second i really want us to discuss dream seek for a few more minutes i mean i think what's uh, i had the same discussion with mike atkins i was telling him the best thing about the study is not it's, it's not a little positive it is very positive i mean 20 percent survival difference at two years and i think that is not that. That is a major, major difference. And I think before he started the study, we all felt as mm. as academic oncologists, mm. we all, you know, favored immunotherapy. We knew we wanted to get the, mm. you know, the long term outcome for our patients. I remind everybody that this study was actually again combination epinevo versus dabrafenib trametinib. The option of single agent PD one is not part of this, right? But we always felt like we should do it we couldn't make that decision without randomized phase three data and what was impressive is again it wasn't a little positive it was a 20 percent overall survival difference Uh, so just interested in both of your thoughts about the fact that again this is still not you know single agent and i'm getting some questions online as well about well what about nevorella i mean Mm. this is You know, we have to take that that study in the context Mm. of exactly how it was performed. Mm. It was ipinevo versus debrafen tromenta. So what are your thoughts on that? There
2: is just a little bemol for me that the combination of targeted therapy did not perform well in this trial. Because we know that we can obtain close to 70% of response. And here it was much lower. I don't really know why. Mm. So that's a little bit... Annoying. I I don't, uh, it does not uh, jeopardize the results in terms of, uh, uh, we we know from other trials also. I mean, it's very consistent with what we know, as you say, but it is true that we have not such a good response with targeted therapy here.
1: Yeah, no, I agree with
2: you. 43%, much lower than what we should get.
1: I think, you know, overall, uh, the fact that this study was conducted within the cooperative groups, you know, there are limitations. It's, uh, you know, conducted in hundreds of sites across community sites, uh, you know, in the country. So that's one limitation that we see less activity, you know, kind of worse results overall in cooperative groups compared to industry-sponsored studies. The other thing is uh, the patient population that entered the study were patients who were not uh, necessarily eligible for monotherapy the patients that would usually give epinevo and end up on this study. So you see the LDH was all, 40% of the patients had high LDH, 60% had M1C-DCs or what we you know, consider today M1C, M1D-DCs. Uh, so it was a high, high kind of risk patient population overall. Mm. But as a clinical experiment,
0: it was well conducted. And so absolutely. The, the, the internal validity of it is absolutely appropriate. Correct. Thank you.
2: What about the sandwich as compared to initiation with epinive? so it's true that it's difficult to conclude because we don't have a lot of patients statistically and also maybe we maybe we might have some more elements later on. but what we see here again is that the arm A, which begins with pirathmic and changes at progression, does not perform that well in comparison to the B, which is EP and then BRAFMEC at progression, or the so called sandwich, which is BRAFMEC inhibition for two months, followed by EP uh, quite rapidly, uh, only two months. of. Uh... So the two last arms do as well, and they seem to do better than initiation with BRAFMEC. So again, the same signal that maybe it's better to have an immunotherapy quite early on. So now we have the BRAF mutation that is confirmed, and we have this recommendation if you just look at the authorization. And for this patient, I think we would initiate with immunotherapy, and then we would discuss with the patients about, I mean, does she accept to take the risk of the, of the combination of nivolumab plus ipilimumab? I think we need to to. to, to Put that in these terms, we have a combination that gives that gives higher results, but much higher toxicity. That's what I tell my patients. We have better results. It seems that we really have consistently better results. although that we know that uh, for the 67, it was not really power to show the difference. But uh, you know, it's always on top, a little bit on top, above nivolumab monotherapy, but much, much higher toxicity and that needs to be really explained to the patients. We need to take our time and uh, also I think we have to really make the effort to say that there might be very severe adverse events. We have to tell that the very severe ones, they are very rare, but uh, uh, also there are some adverse events that are not so rare, like... uh, Loss of the thyroid function between 10 and 15 percent of the cases. It's not considered very severe, but you know, it's annoying to take uh, hormones, I mean, every day of your life. So, of course, when you are in a situation of a metastatic disease, it's, I mean, uh, the balance is really in favor of the treatment. But uh, okay, so we have to release take our time to talk with the patients and the family. And also, I think what is very important to tell them, I, I'm sure you will agree, is that to tell them that whatever that their choice will be, will be there. And if they, if they accept the proposal to have a combination of immunotherapy, they have really to know that we, we are always there to help if there, if there is something, and we have to make sure that they can reach us, the team, any time. Make sure that they understand how to reach us. So there are big differences between the toxicity of immunotherapy, so this is uh, one of the first uh, publication that uh, was detailing the adverse events that we could uh, see uh, on our patients treated with the combination. So you see it's, uh, it's quite rare when you have adverse events grade three and above that are uh, more frequent than the grade one and two, and this is the case. We, we have more grade uh, three and four adverse events than grade one and two. Overall, we have close to 60% of patients with grades 3 and 4 adverse events, so it's really heavy in the, in the balance. And um, so I insist again, you see thyroid uh, dysfunction. It's uh, classified in the grade 1 and 2, but, uh, I mean, it needs to be said uh, to the patients clearly. And we don't see here the very severe ones, the ones we are very afraid of, like encephalitis, myocarditis, because it's very rare, but I think it's important to say that it can happen. So we know how to manage with adverse events. We have algorithm. We know that for grade one and two, usually we can continue the treatment and we have to give symptomatic treatment. Grade two, we begin to pay attention. If it continues, we will stop the treatment and we will give, of of course, symptomatic treatment and be ready to prescribe steroid that we uh, will prescribe anyway for grade three and above and sometimes intravenously and sometimes we will give more potent immunosuppressive drug. So this is also something that is reassuring for the patient to tell them that we, we are quite used to manage these adverse events. And, uh, of course, with braf uh, agents, inhibiting agents, we have a very different toxicity. We have some class effects which are shared among the three combinations, but we also have some adverse events that arrive more frequently, with one of the combinations, for example, more frequently fever, chills, with uh, with dabrafenib, trametinib. More frequent photosensitivity, very frequent photosensitivity, very annoying. I think it's one of the main reasons why we, we prescribe very rarely this combination. And um, I, I think I'm not sure if, you're, if you agree, we'll see, maybe we have to see, but I think gastrointestinal adverse events are more frequent with oncorafenib, binimetinib, sometimes very severe colitis even. So we have also to pay attention and to know how to manage, but we don't have the permanent adverse events and it makes a huge difference, especially, this is not the case here, but when we discuss about treating patients in the adjuvant setting. Here, we don't have the endocrine adverse events, the ones that are permanent. So, Margaret receives a Niveau epilimimab compli- um, combination, and she, unfortunately, presents with a severe colitis that she uh, presents after the second infusion, as it is quite often the case. And she has, she has to be treated with high-dose steroids. She responds, and then we stop ipinivo. And I would like to insist on the fact that, that before considering a rechallenge with the same drug or continuing, for example, even with nivo monotherapy, if we are afraid to give the, the, the third and the fourth course, we have to reevaluate her because maybe we will have a good uh, surprise and we will see that she responds to the treatment. And in this case, no need to rechallenge. So now let's imagine she had normal LDH and she's in perfect performance status. Would you have done differently?
0: Yeah, I mean, that kind of, again, uh, first of all, even if I consider targeted therapy, this is a population with uh, lung metastases and, you know, basically limited, it seems, to lung metastases with LDH and PS4. Those, the PS of zero patients will do really well with that. Um, I kind of disagree with some of the options because, as I will show on uh, Sunday, there will probably not be a single situation where single-agent PD-1 is going to be the answer. It's probably going to be PD-1-Lag3. But honestly, this is a situation where you, you could think about sing, you know, single-agent before we had LAG in hand, and now LAG with only having M1A disease, normal LDHPS0, the response rates are ex- exceptionally high, both with single-agent nivolumab or with p- nivolumab and and those patients do really well. So that is a very high consideration for me when I see a patient with that uh, kind of presentation.
1: Ahmed? Yeah, no, uh, I mean, I agree. You have a randomized phase three study which show, you know, demonstrates the you know, kind of superiority mm-hmm. of LAG3 PD-1. Uh, although I would still consider PD 1 in patients, let's say if they have lung metastasis but low tumor burden, uh, and or maybe older, I'd like to kind of minimize the risk of toxicity. Although with lag 3, you know, the toxicity profile is obviously favorable. But um, I'm still, you know, going to look for those patients where I can <laughs> do PD 1 as monotherapy. You have from now
0: uh, until Sunday morning to maintain. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um,
2: yes, okay, just to remind us, you already showed that, that uh, Nivo lag. Regardless of the BRAF mutation status, uh, it seems to be better than nivolumab. Okay, so um, now she has brain metastases. So they are not symptomatic, but then we could consider these different combinations. We have the triplet. The triplet is BRAF MEG blockade plus an anti-PD-1. And here I would like, uh, we are very lucky because we have a, a very, very expert in the field who published this paper. I would like, Usen that you comment this slide.
0: Yeah, thank you. So what, uh, what Dr. Robert is showing is the uh, three-year data from Checkmate 204. And so. Again, we know that single-agent PD-1 has activity intracranially as well. We know that the response rate from, two, uh, from one single-arm study that uh, was conducted at Yale, was the intracranial response with pembrolizumab was about 20%, and then the ABC trial that was conducted uh, in Australia randomized patients to ipinevo versus single-agent nevo. And again, single-agent nevo had a response rate of about 20%. So... Checkmate 204 was a study in which we, we used ipilimumab and nivolumab. And just to be clear, it's ipilimumab 3 milligrams per kilogram, NEVO 1 milligram per kilogram given for four doses. So the standard dose, as we call it in, in melanoma, as opposed to the flip dose, which is, uses a lower dose of ipi. And we had a res, a, an intracranial response rate of about 55% and a clinical benefit rate of 50, uh, 58%. So you see the waterfall plot there. So there's a lot of responses, I would say. Say um, the the median time to response was six weeks, so it was a very quick response. Um, I can do the next and show. I think most importantly, uh, the fact is it was very durable responses. So at three years, when we reported this back in November we hadn't reached the median PFS, so we we still had a three-year PFS of 52%, so it was above the median still, if the patient was asymptomatic, and 87% of the responses were ongoing. Hmm. Uh, And again, one of the things we have in a supplemental, by the way, we did a landmark analysis at 12 weeks, so if you had an intracranial response at 12 weeks, the overall survival at three years was 92%. So again, confirming that this combination is very effective in the brain. Mm. The uh, P- I'm sorry. Did you have a question?
2: No. In other, in other words, you cool. tell us that you have a response that is as good as anywhere else.
0: Exactly. If you exactly. are
2: asymptomatic.
0: If you're asymptomatic. And the PFS that you see below is from patients that were symptomatic or receiving steroids at the time of initiation of therapy. The response rate was not good. It was 18% that we managed to actually have a response. And so it's a very low response. But what you see from this PFS curve is actually still flat lines. So actually, the four responses that occurred were all durable. So every time you got an intracranial response, Mm. it was durable. But it was a much lower
2: response. Mm. So with BRASMEC, we know we have... a. uh previous uh, publication with uh, dabrafenib and trametinib the response rate was not bad in the first cohort which is really the, one, the only one that we can analyze because it's 78 patients the other ones are really small there were other kinds of mutations of V600 and also other. Uh, uh, some patients were symptomatic or pre-treated but the cohort A, asymptomatic no prior radiotherapy you see response rates it's good it's more than 50% 58 So it's less than uh, other sites, which is about 70%. But still, it's as good as your response rate with Nivo EP. But in terms of duration of response, we are much less good. We are about six months of PFS, median, so not durable responses. So the concluding thoughts... Uh, or uh, I think we can say that the combination of nivolumab plus ipilimumab I think should be considered a priority even in in patients with BRAF mutant melanoma but we also can discuss nivolumab plus relatlimab or anti-PD-1 monotherapy in some cases and also if the patient does not want a regimen that is very toxic that is very important to listen to them we have, of course, to remain very vigilant when we prescribe these uh, treatments, even even PD-1 mono-blockade. I mean, we can have adverse events, so always remain very vigilant. And also, I would like to re-insist on the, the evaluation of the patients before resuming treatment. Sometimes you don't need.
0: We still have a few questions online that I would like to go through, uh, but um, you know, I think we've answered some of them as we discuss these cases, uh, so I'll, I'll pick a couple of them. And again, if there are any questions directly from the room, I'll give uh, the, the um, you know, advantage to people that showed up in person. If anyone wants to raise their hand and ask us a question, I think this is a perfect time to do so.
2: There is something that is not a question, but that is very important, and I think we didn't say that, is that uh, the big advantage, of immunotherapy is that we can stop for patients who respond well, and uh, we, d- we cannot stop even for very good responders with braf inhibition. We don't dare to stop because we are so afraid of the re- of the relapse. Oh. So I think it's a, it's a good point.
0: Absolutely. So I want to pick out the one about any role for PDL1 expression, even to decide between dual IO or single or single agent. Um, Dr.
1: Tarhini, any thoughts on that? I think, you know, with PD-L1 expression, uh, uh, although it suggests a higher likelihood of benefit from immunotherapy, it does not exclude the likelihood of response. And we would still treat these patients, let's say, with dual, with combination immunotherapy, let's epinevo, for example. So uh, I would say at least no role in my clinic. Dr. Robert, do you, do you order PD-L1 for your um,
2: patients? I, I don't do it routinely. I do it for research, and uh, why? Because uh, it's not such a good marker. It's not very homogeneous, and uh, we actually, we, we did this um, experiment with, we do the proximity, be, proximity between PD-1 and PD-L1. It's not something standardized, but we, we find that it's, it's, it's well correlated to response better than PD-L1, but it's not something that we can use yet. But uh, right now I'm very happy that we are not restricted in our prescription and that we can prescribe anti-PD-1 or the combination to patients even with PD-L1 negative because sometimes it works well. And it's not like we had a lot of things better that we could offer to our patients.
0: Exactly. I mean, it's kind of, I mean, obviously for practicing oncologists, you're used to ordering that for your lung cancer, colon cancer patients before you make any move. You have to get the result before you make the decision. For melanoma, we never actually order it. And when my patients show up with a pdl one most of the time I kind of shrug my shoulders and do what makes more sense based on the other clinical characteristics of the patients. Um, I do want to address one question about uh, the – so recently we, uh, we published, uh, along with Georgina Long's group, uh, collected data from patients that had received Nivorella and then went to Epinevo afterwards, and it was a very small – uh, sample size from many countries. Um, obviously, all of the patients were treated in, in the clinical trial setting, and the response for epinevo is only 10%, so there's a concern about, you know, is this going to be cross-resistance, and there's a question about the same exact thing from the audience, and I will say that it's really early data. It was just, again, it's not yet, you know, nivorella is not yet in clinical practice. It's a super-selected population. It was already on clinical trial and and went to epinevo. So um, it's interesting, it's food for thought, but I think exactly the, the way that Dreamseek helped us answer a question with a randomized study that clearly designed the sequence and order you know kind of randomized the patients to get them or succumb it or the URTC trials, we will need trials that will help us decide how to sequence nivorella And I wouldn't take this, you know, ten percent response as gospel. It's very early. I think it's interesting. It was good that we put it out there so people know what you might be dealing with, but it's not going to affect my clinical practice in any way yet. Um, All right, let's see. Um, When do you use PD-1 alone in advanced melanoma? This will be our last question because we got to, we're already past eight o'clock,
1: but I think it's relevant to address that question. I I, I alluded to it uh, earlier, uh, possibly, you know, patients with Uh, normal LDH, very low tumor burden, maybe the M1A, or those with isolated lung, you know, one or two lung metastases. I may still use P1 Mm.
2: models. Or patients who are more fragile.
1: Correct, yeah, concerned about adverse events.
2: Very, very old or like a little bit on the autoimmune side. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, so those those are all very fair points, and again, we'll, uh, this will be a debate we're all going to be talking about. It. It's good to have options to kind of de-escalate if you need it to single agent. Um, you know, Again, we'll show on Sunday um, specifically results in the patients over the age of 75 where there's still benefit, patients that uh, M1A and M1B disease where the response rate is more than 55 percent. So, you know, uh, personally, maybe I may be biased, but I do find it really hard to consider a single agent. I will give you the autoimmune disorders question. We still don't know. We're running a clinical trial nationally where we're doing nivolumab single agent in patients with varying degrees of autoimmune disorders. So obviously, not all autoimmune disorders are the same. Somebody with mild psoriasis is different than somebody who has multiple sclerosis, right? So there's... Yeah varying degrees, but we're running it with a single agent PD-1, and we're, we want to actually now add nevorella so that we can examine that specific combination uh-huh. in, in those patients. The last thing I'll say about nevorella is we don't know its activity in the brain at all, and I, I think that's a really, really critical component. So if you have a patient with brain metastases, epineva is really the, uh, the most appropriate tool for those. Any last right. words from, yes, from my Yes, no, and no
2: burning question in the audience? No,
0: yes. One, go ahead. Yes. Go ahead. There
1: some type of melanoma, which uh,
0: single agent. Is there any some type of melanoma, like desmoplastic or? Ah. Uh, go ahead.
2: Right. And yes, it's a good point because of uh, the good responses we had. This paper published by Tony Ribas and his team about the very good response of desmoplastic melanoma with anti-PD1 monotherapy. It's a, good, uh, it's a good point. I think this would be part of uh, the criteria to decide. It would be maybe in favor of uh, using uh, PD-1. I think it's a good uh, point.
0: Yeah, Carrie yeah, Kendra is presenting uh, the results from a swog study on Sunday as well with desmoplastic melanoma. It was really impressive response rates of single agent. But the flip side to that is if you have mucosal or acral melanoma, single agent doesn't do as well. You remember those are uh, melanomas that don't have a high tumor mutational burden. So um, we generally favor combinations for those patients. Yes,
2: but combination does not do perfectly well either. It still
0: doesn't do great, <laughs> but it does better than single yeah. agents. That's kind of
2: yes. Uh, Good point. Yes. Thank you.
0: A quick question: If you decide to start to target therapy combo, do the, the pace of disease? Uh, when do you
1: switch to immune combo? You wait progression or you change before progression?
0: Excellent question. Dr. Tarhini, what yeah, do you think?
1: I think based on the Dreamseek data, um, uh, uh, we, we will always have to add immunotherapy, either as a triplet or uh, switch to epinevo, depending on the extent of the response. Somebody has a great response with, let's say, VurafMac inhibition, I may just add. Let's say, you know, atezolizumab, for example, you know, or, or anti-PD1. Uh, but, uh, but I think I would be hesitant uh, to treat with bevacizumab alone, especially in those who have such a high tumor burden, such a bad performance status to start, and they're high risk to come back. And one observation in the uh, DreamSeek study: 24 patients died on the study early. Uh, and when we looked at, into those uh, patients, uh, the common factor was that none of them received BRFMAC inhibition in salvage after epinevo, which, which you know kind of calls for the fact that there are these patients that we need to salvage them quickly with BRFMAC inhibition, but I think we need to consider adding immunotherapy soon after.
2: Mm-hmm. So this you. is exactly the sorry. Go this ahead. is exactly the question that we tried to address with the ERTC trial. Uh, with be make for a short period followed by Niveau versus niveau.
0: but the current evidence is lacking i mean that's that's the truth right so you know the the, the idea of doing short sequence and going to it as we're waiting for those to had that for two months and is that the best i i don't know i mean it'll be interesting to see but um Waiting until progression is the only kind of you know data that we have now, and it's not good. It, it, it's not a good outcome. So, um, yeah. And the the other thing I'll just say, mentioned very briefly, is we're seeing. And I'm not sure if that's your experience as well. Don't want to be kind of promoting one combination over the other, but but I feel like with Mech that we currently have there's more stability over a longer period of time. I used to get really nervous at the eight-month mark for my patients, at the 10-month mark, and now the 12-month mm-hmm. is coming, and it's, you know, the 15 months are coming, and it's not as as bad. So so perhaps our agents are a little better as well. Uh, the point is, you know, when you get closer to these, you know, one-year to 15 months period, I start kind of checking on those patients a little more frequently so that you don't do... The every three months, and then you might miss the progression and, and miss the opportunity to intervene um, yeah. for those patients. But that's that's all clinical practice, not evidence. driven
2: But unfortunately, the reality uh, more I mean most frequently, if you. If you stop uh, your uh, targeted therapy to try to initiate an immunotherapy, uh, sometimes uh, you have to really rechallenge with braf inhibition yeah. uh, rapidly because it's very difficult to stop. Yeah.
1: And, and I think one, one observation was important observation in DreamSeq is that the likelihood of response with braf is similar whether, whether you give it first line or second line after epinevo. Mm. So the response rate is similar while with epinevo, the response rate is less Mm. if you give it after I mac So these are excellent salvage agents. I think
2: it's very important because that's what I wanted to say and I forgot. I mean, we don't say that braf inhibitors are not good treatments. It's excellent treatment for patients who are rapidly threatened by their metastasis or second line. Because immunotherapy does not work all the time. I mean, we know, unfortunately. So it's so good to have such uh, an effective second line treatment with such a good response rate, almost the same as in first line. So it's very important just to keep that in mind and not to not to say that targeted therapy are not good treatments.
0: Well, thank you all very much. Thank you, Kathleen. Yeah, we, thank we, we, you. we don't this stop. Was, this was great. <laughs> this activity is certified by PVI, Peerview Institute for Medical Education. Remember to download the slides and practice aids. Thank you for listening. Download materials and complete the post-test for instant credit at peerview.com forward slash ZBX860. This activity is supported through an educational grant from Bristol-Myers Squibb.